Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests. I have Miss Lyman and Mr. George, who are both joining me to talk a little bit about just how they're doing during this whole quarantine period and how they see our industry progressing as we come out of it. Hey, but before we get into kind of the depth of our conversation today, I think some origin stories would be a great place for us to start. Um, Lyman, I'm going to start with you. Um, How did you get into this crazy business we call the automotive industry? Great question. Um, it was pure, pure accident. I never would have in a million years thought anything about automotive. I mean, I've bought many cars in my life, but I would have never in a million years thought about working doing anything with, with automotive industry. And so I had a uh, best friend who, you know, I traveled the world with and everything. So we always talked about our, our careers and she worked at an independent dealership here in Washington state. And she would always, you know, we, we would go on the walks at the end of the day in Kirkland um, in downtown Kirkland. And so we would talk about our, you know, jobs and things that are happening. And at that time I worked at Microsoft. And so she was getting promoted from being um, a finance manager to being a COO of a dealership. It was her family um, dealership. And so she, she was doing really, really well as a finance manager. She was making so much money. It was ridiculous. And so, but then when she was thinking about going to become a COO, she was talking about how hard it is to backfill her role. And I'm like, why is it so hard to backfill your role? And so she was telling me all the challenges with hiring finance managers and she's been doing since she was 17 years old. So she was really, really good at it. And so long story short, the more and more she was telling me about how hard it is to backfill her role, I realized that her dealership was not using the technology uh, you know, to help them be more efficient, to improve, uh, not have to hire the most expensive people or, or somebody who's been in the automotive industry for 20 years to be able to do what she does. So you know, then fast forward, she asked me to come in one day to her dealership to help her with marketing. Like she had a marketing agency and her dealership was growing really fast. And then she's like, Lyman, can you come in and take a look at what we're doing? Just audit it. Like, just tell me if we're doing a good job, if there's something we could be doing better. And so I came in and, you know, on a Saturday, I spent like three or four hours at her dealership. And that's when my whole journey started. The more and more I spent time with her, the more I realized how everything's so backwards. And the more and more I realized how everything's so backwards, and I tried helping her find vendors who could do a better job and I couldn't. And that's when I realized, I'm like, I have to do this myself. I'm like, I would have never in a million years that an automotive industry as one of the oldest industries, one of the most important industries in the United States could be so outdated. And so long story short, 321 Ignition was born. That's very cool. You know, I mean, but it's true though. I mean, as far as an industry goes, you know, our, our adoption of technology or adoption of best oh practices and new social standards and stuff. I mean, you know, like as an industry, we really suck at being social. Like we focus on the media side of the business pretty good, but you know, like we don't seem to adopt, you know, some of the most common practices, but George, you don't have that problem. Do you, you are literally Mr. Social. So let's, (laughs) but before we get into Mr. Social and how he became Mr. Social, um, by the way, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. I'm just calling you Mr. Social. I like it. Um, it. (laughs) George, let's talk a little origin story, man. How'd you get started into this business? Oh, wow. I started washing cars when I was uh, 16 years old, uh, just on weekends. And I saw some of the guys that were working at the dealerships and the money they were making and the partying they were doing. And, and I was their designated driver at night. I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is a lot of fun. 
And um, I went to uh, Georgian College up in Barrie, the Canadian Automotive Institute at the time, which is now the uh, Automotive School of Business. And I did three years there and I got to uh, meet kids all across Canada, their father's own dealerships. It was basically 99% of the kids uh, that their parents owned dealerships and then there was me. <laughs> so uh, it was an incredible time. And from there, I went down to the US. I went down to Florida, the uh, Northwood campus down in West Palm Beach, Florida. And then I got to meet kids where their parents owned dealerships all over the world. Again, 99% of the kids I went to school with, their parents owned dealerships all over the world. And then there was me. So do you use the term PhD or DPK? The PhD, Papa has dealership, yeah. He <laughs> has dealership, I like it. Yeah, so I went to school with a bunch of PhDs. It was crazy, and we had a lot of fun. And then I, uh, I, I got out of university, and I got hired back by the, by the gentleman who first hired me, um, right back in the auto industry, and sold cars for seven and a half years. And then I got into management for about 20 years. I ran some of the biggest new and used car departments in the country for Toyota. I was a general sales manager. And then in the last year, I decided I'm going uh, to go back to simple selling, you know, having fun, uh, interacting with people. I threw in the whole Mr. Social into the whole social media world. And for people who know me, that's just me. But I decided to kind of go out there with it and have fun with it. Okay, so real quick, let's set something straight, you know, George, before we kind of get into our conversation. All right. You are who you are on social as you are in real person, right? I mean, a lot yeah. of people out there are wondering, you know, can that guy possibly be that loud and have that much energy all the time? So, so set it straight right now, George. Let's do this. All right. Let the record speak for itself. It's all true. <laughs> of course. Of course it is. <laughs> All right. Hey guys, um, let's, let's, we'll get into our kind of our conversation for today. I'm curious, you know, for yourselves, you know, for like a lot of people right now that are going, you know, through this quarantine, this, this coronavirus, you know, period, you know, everybody's current norm is all slightly different, you know, and um, I mean, I'll start with you, you know, what, what does that current norm look like for you? My current norm is I haven't really seen people besides being on Zoom. So luckily for me, I have so many phone calls that I'm I'm constantly in meeting after meeting after meeting, so I have that social interaction. But uh, beyond that, like I think my highlights of the day is going grocery shopping and actually seeing other people and being able to dress up. And I love dressing up. So, you know, before COVID, you know, every weekend, like, you know, put on a really cute dress and I'll go have dinner with my friends. Now it's like, oh my God, I get to go grocery shopping. Where's my dress? <laughs> well, everybody's wearing <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I'm I'm all business up here, but I'll tell you, like I'm, it's no pants Wednesday for me right now. Is oh it Wednesday? yeah, it's Wednesday, oh, yeah. isn't it? You, you took the words out <laughs> See, of my mouth. I don't even mouth. know what the day is. I don't even know. <laughs> Dude, I haven't worn shoes in a week. I mean. <laughs> like, <laughs> Is that what you're hiding underneath that camera? You That's right. Like, this is just, I'm just, you know, I just kind of set, I just set the vest and the dress shirt over there. And whenever I need to jump on the camera, I just kind of throw it on. <laughs> hey, George, man, for yourself, what, what's the current norm look like for you, brother? Uh, my, my internal clock is shot. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm up in the middle of the night. I'm 
taking naps. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm talking with customers at the oddest times of day and night. Um, it's, there is no, there, there, it's, it's completely out of the norm and, and shot down completely. So it's, um, it's every day is like a Sunday. It's like a groundhog day. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's actually a great way to kind of, you know, to, to uh, describe it. It's just like a groundhog day, like yeah. over and over again. What was yeah. that OEM, which is that a commercial for Super Bowl, the Groundhog's Day? Was it a Fiat Chrysler Dodge OEM? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, Maybe they, they saw the future. They're like, <laughs> they saw it coming. I have no idea how this is going to be relevant <laughs> a month from today. You know what, I, something that kind of, I've been trying to figure this out myself. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but, you know, it seemed like the OEMs responded really quickly to this. Yes. Like, I mean, I'm talking like fast, like almost, almost in the sense where it kind of felt like they had an overnight oh shit bag. And when it was like, you know, like, you know, I'm thinking back, you know, when my wife was pregnant, you know, there was always that bag that was kind of sitting at the front, you know, whenever it was like go time, it was just like, okay, it's there, it's ready. It's like, they kind of had this, like, this like go bag, you know, ready. So maybe they learned their lesson from the recession, but like, I mean, I think the first commercial I saw was from GM and I swear it came out like maybe 24, 48 hours when, you know, people were like, you need to stay home. You need to stay home. I was like, wow, that was fast. Yeah. But you know, that probably cost them an arm and a leg to do a commercial at the last minute like that. But you know what though? I kind of feel like it, it happened so fast. Like I really question, did they actually make it in real time or was there something built? You know what I mean? Was there kind of, was it kind of almost partially built and just kind of sitting there ready to go? You oh, know, no but, doubt. No doubt. Yeah, right? sure. they probably just edited the uh, voiceover, but they probably already had a footage of, you know, cars driving by or whatever. It felt like it was kind of like that way. But you know what, that's actually a good kind of segue into our conversation is, you know, kind of how you guys see, you know, the new norm, you know, for our industry is going to be. Um, you know, I, you guys can disagree with me. And if you do, great. If you don't, that's fine too. Um, but I definitely do not believe that we're going to be going back to the way that we've done business in the past in the sense where we completely control the process for a customer. You know, like I just, I don't foresee us ever going back to that place where it's like, we tell the customer, no, Mr. Customer, here are the one through 10 steps that you have to do to actually purchase or service with me. Like I, I think socially now, all right, customers that now have gone through this phase where, you know, uh, to your point, you know, I mean, you're talking about grocery shopping, you know, I, I've been doing grocery like pickups yeah. and I have three kids under the age of nine. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell have I been doing all this time? Yeah. Why in the world was I taking three kids into a grocery store, you know, when I can literally just pull up, you know, and hit the button to the rear hatch and they throw it in and I drive off. Like, I honestly can't ever foresee myself walking to a grocery store again, you know, after, after this experience, you know, not just because of social distancing, but just because of the, the productivity, right? So yeah. I like to hear, let's I hear your guys' thoughts of, how you foresee, you know, that, that first six to 12 months of coming out of this where, you know, the governments are going to say, okay, everyone, you can start popping your heads out. You can start showing up to restaurants. You can start showing up to actual physical showrooms. You know, how do you guys see the new norm is going to be for our I industry? Think, I think human nature, human nature in general, you're going to see, especially at the beginning, everybody's going to be very cautious. Um, yeah, we're going to have to try all kinds of different techniques. For the, for the retailers who are not scared to try new techniques, um, those guys are the ones that I think they're going to persevere and they're going to get stronger, especially coming out of the bat. I know um, 
there's some dealers that have already incorporated different initiatives. And those are the guys that aren't sure to kind of throw, throw the ball and, and see what happens. Throw a, try and get a strike. And if you already hit a ball, so what? On to the next ball. So, um, yeah, we're going to definitely have to do something different. I think video, the internet, people are, people are now, I had a customer today. I had a customer today. He went and did his own approval by himself. <laughs> he sent me his pre-approval by himself through Toyota, told me this is how much I'm approved for. And I'm going to probably go buy his house in the next couple of days, go do an appraisal on his car. And it'll all be done via internet and just very limited social face-to-face -face communication. Well, and that's just because that's the way that he's chosen to purchase. That's the way he's exactly. chosen to engage. Exactly. Now, it's cool, though, that for, for yourself as a dealership, all right, you guys are willing to say, okay, we'll play ball the way you want to play ball. That's what you want to do. All right, fine. We'll make those changes. Um, Lyman, for yourself, you know, on how your, your company engages with dealerships, you know, how do you see that changing, you know, going into this new norm? You guys have no idea how busy we have been. And so my company is 321 Ignition. We're a website provider. And we're actually the only company that's mobile first. And what's amazing is, you know, prior to COVID, a lot of times when we would talk to dealerships, in, uh, and I would talk to like huge auto groups, and, you know, the, their feedback was always, well, you know, I have a website. It's good enough. It was almost like a business card. Check, I got it. And now they actually realize how important the website is. And right value time more than anything like I'm willing to spend more money and something like I always say you know I put an hourly rate for myself and if anything that I do costs less than what my hourly rate is then I outsource it I don't do it because we just need to be so much more productive when we value productivity especially you know Jason with you with three kids you know like sure maybe another dealership uh, you know across the street might be a thousand dollars less for the car you want to buy but if the other dealership helped you save money or say helps you save time uh, so you could spend more time with your family, so you could spend more time on your business. Aren't yeah. you willing to spend that $1,000 more on a car? So, you know, dealerships' profit margins are shrinking, you know, from selling cars. So the best way to improve the profit margins is to actually provide one-of-a-kind services. And that's just to say, you know, our business is a family business. We've been here in the same area 30 years. Nobody cares about that. You know, consumers... That's so true. No one gives a crap about that. Yeah, they care about how you're going to help them save time. How do you make it simpler for them to get the information, help them do their homework? And like, same thing as you, George, you know, I'm up most of the days, like until three, four o'clock in the morning, because, you know, I'm yeah. constantly working. And so I need people and companies that I work with to be able to operate in my hours. So that means like, if I'm searching for information at two o'clock in the morning, I want that information to be available. I don't want to have to wait for somebody to get back to me. I want a simple friction-free experience. And so... And for 321 Ignition, we've been so busy actually ever since the COVID happened. Um, I almost can't even keep up with the demand is because, you know, we created a user experience that was designed for people to shop online. You know, um, one of the things that drives me nuts is when people talk about digital retailing tools and they talk about those digital retailing tools, like it's, you know, AI. Remember how when AI first got it? Oh God, I actually hate the word because it's the same. It, the, it, it, there is nobody out there that's really using AI. Come on. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's 99% of the time it's machine learning, but it's a buzzword. But to your point, I apologize for interrupting. Continue. All right. Well, you know, same thing like with um, for some OEMs like Honda, for example, I think they just mandated all of their dealerships to use digital retailing companies and they approved a couple of vendors. 
But it, the, the problem is not with the digital retailing. The problem is the user experience on the website. It doesn't matter if you have the best tools in the world, but if you're putting them on a website that has a terrible user experience and people can navigate, like for example, a lot of times when I go to GM dealership websites, sorry, GM, GM guys, you know, I'll see on a top navigation, they'll be like new inventory, used inventory, finance, uh, like it has so many categories. And I, like, a lot of times when I try to find, well, where's get pre-approved application? I can't even find a get pre-approved application. And I'm in an automotive industry, build websites. I'm used to searching for information. A lot of times I can't even find any information. So, you know, just putting another digital retailing tool, it's not gonna help dealerships sell more cars. They really need to start from square one and reevaluate their, you know, the user experience. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of our, the bigger website provider companies have been around for so long. And if you think about it, like somebody who, and I'm not going to name names, but everybody knows who I'm talking about, you know, website companies have been around for 10, 15 years. <laughs> if you think Come about on, it. Come on now, Lyman, say it. Don't be scared. <laughs> I don't know if I say should. It. <laughs> okay, fine. The dealer that comes with the world, the CDKs of the world. <laughs> well, you know what it is. It's the big juggernauts that haven't been willing to actually move. But you know what, though? I, as much as I get upset with them, I also actually get more upset with the dealers because, okay. because they didn't care that much about their website. Why would these big juggernauts actually take the time to make the changes? Actually, so mean? here's the thing. So Jason, actually, I, I think uh, dealerships are powerless. So in a couple of ways. So one, they're powerless. If they're OEM dealership, OEM mandates it. And, you know, whatever OEM says, it, they have to do. There's very few OEM dealerships who are more progressive and innovative who would say, you know what, forget what OEM is saying. I want to stand out. I want to innovate. And you guys, OEM, can keep up with, the, you know, evaluating new vendors as fast as you can. But there's very few of those people, you know, who actually will be the rebels. Most people will follow the rules. And then there's um, the other problem with dealerships is if you think about it, if you take even like a really decent sized dealership, you know, it's somebody who maybe sells 200 cars, 300 cars, how many employees would that dealership have? Like maybe 50, 60 employees, right? Okay, right. so if you think about it, out of those 50, 60 employees, how many of those people are actually in charge of marketing? Dealerships can't afford to have a marketing department. So what happens, because, you know, marketing is not a one person's job. Marketing is a copywriter, a designer, a marketing manager, a developer, a QA person, an analytics person. Uh, before all said and done, you need a team of minimum 11 people. I counted it several times. I'm like, is there any way to do it less than 11 Lyman, people? Lyman, you got to remember, okay? Uh, Jason and I were in the auto industry when there wasn't even a computer allowed in the dealership, okay? You, you remember and when websites first started still, coming in? <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of these guys are still in the auto industry. But well, and that's actually a good point. I mean, Lyman, you know, there's, look, I think there are dealerships out there that are, you know, putting their pitchforks in the air and demanding some change, you know, but there are a lot of dealerships out there that just don't give a shit about yeah. their digital dealership. I mean, you kind of, you, you said it earlier, Lyman, yeah. actually, when we started talking, well, they do now. So that's what, this is yeah. what I love about this, right? Is, is that, you know, you, I think you said it earlier, you know, for, for a lot of dealerships, they just kind of looked at their website solution as a glorified brochure. Yeah. You know, like they, they didn't actually treat it as a digital version of their right. business. You right. know, they just kind of treat it as kind of the secondary. In fact, even, I mean, a lot of dealerships can treat internet leads as like third class citizens. Like, oh. Oh my God. God. Jason, those no internet leads oh geez that we add for a dealership website is a video tool so it allows people to actually do call you know do one-way video code so they could do live video uh walk around 
and the the salespeople, the dealerships that I work with, like you have no idea how many times I try training them how to use it. They're not answering incoming calls. I'm like, you guys. I'll tell you something. At, my, at our store, there I am one of only few people that are actually doing any sort of video. The owner has told the staff many times, guys, hey, digital pays off. It's it's proof in the pudding. And you know, some people still just want to be in their own ways. It's it's. And it's a lot, a lot of people that think they're just going to, customers just going to walk in the door like they used to. Yeah, unfortunately, those, those are order takers. That's like being at a groceries uh, Safeway checkout and somebody comes in and says, I, you know, I want a gum. Great. Let me ring you up. Those are not salespeople. Like, well, know. I think that's the cool part. I mean, I think that's kind of what we're kind of hinting here is that that is what the byproduct of this, of this time is going to be. Look, look. There's a lot of bad things going on right now, so I'm not trying to like, you know, you know, say how wonderful this is, you know. But to a certain degree, you know, it kind of took the dealerships to just slightly implode, so that they can really start to focus and identify, you know, really what the customer cares about. And right. that, I mean, you hit it on, you hit the nail on the head. The customer cares about having a easy, seamless frictionless, you know, buying experience because that's what they're getting everywhere else. And work like, that's what I get the grocery store. That's what I get at Staples and Best Buy and Amazon. Yeah, like for example, you know, I'm a girl and I care about my appearance, obviously a little bit of vain, but you know, I like to get my oh, Wait, are you saying that we don't care about our appearance? Come on. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm are you saying? Than you guys are. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, you know, I used to, when I used to go to the hair salons, I, you know, I would have one hairstylist and I would always make an appointment with her. Now, they all know how to cut hair. They all know how to color hair. You know, so like if I am going to rehearsal and trying to make an appointment and the, the stylist is not available days and times, I'm available. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I'm not working around their schedule. They're working around my schedule. Who else do you have? Like I have zero loyalty to my hairdressers. You know, it's hair. <laughs> like if you went through a hair school, you know how to cut hair. And so- No, you- I feel the same way. I may be honest with you. I just, <laughs> there's only certain people that can, that can make this bad boy look as good as it does. I, I just got my I just got my haircut actually. Uh, Did you do it yourself? No, I had a friend of mine do it for me. I actually cut my I cut my hair myself, uh, and I'm so glad we're able to do this podcast like front facing because I took a chunk of hair out the back <laughs> and like so you can't see it right now, but from the if you look for me from the back, there's like there's like this like two inch by two inch square that's just like nothing but skin. Um, so I'll be wearing a baseball cap for a good chunk. Um, of when we're able to pop our head out and talk but about Jason, that. I, I, there's going to be a lot of change in our industry. There's no doubt. You're already starting to see it. We're coming around to other industries. The U.S. has obviously always been ahead of us um, in the auto industry. They've always been way ahead of us. You might say three to four years ahead of us. But uh, I think the Canadian auto industry, you're going to see a lot of change. And I think a lot of change for the better. I think this is all change for the good. I want to, I'm a positive guy and I, I think this is just going to just kind of legitimize the business even more. And you're going to see it's, I, I personally think for the people who want to go that extra mile and make it happen for those individual people who want to spend more time with their families, let don't want to spend three, four hours at a dealership. It's, I think it's going to, it's going to benefit us. No, no, question. no I, I'm with you. I mean, I think, you know, coming out of this, right. The, 
the better physical operators and the phys- and the better digital operators are the ones that are actually going to benefit the most from it. And in fact, we're already seeing it. I mean, I, I, I mean, Lyman, I'm sure you've been talking to a lot of dealerships the same as I have, and I'm almost kind of a 50-50 split, you know? I mean, I have some dealerships out there right now that are, you know, only down maybe 20, 25%, you know, because they were, they went, they've had a digital mindset going into this way before this all happened. So it's almost like they were operationally kind of prepared. And then I have some that are, you know, operating at 20% of what they normally do. So it's, it's kind of this fluctuation, but let's talk, let's, let's, let's give some advice to some people that, you know, to the dealerships out there that are watching and listening and that are going to be kind of coming out of this and the showroom's going to start filling up. Let's start talking about what the new norm looks like from a you know, from a digital dealership perspective and, you know, I'll set that one up for you, Lyman. And then, and then for your, for yourself, George, to give you a moment to think about it, what that new sales process is going to look like, because I, I believe it's both. It's not one or the other. It's like the tech and the process have to work together. So, you know, Lyman, for yourself, you know, how, how does it look like coming out of this and going into the new norm that dealerships engage with technology? Yeah, so you know what, Jason, it's interesting. This is not even necessarily related to COVID, but in terms of the new norm for digital, I don't know if you guys heard the announcement, but uh, Google is changing their uh, crawling bots, uh, Google bot crawling bots ranking to mobile first starting September 2020. They actually already started doing it in July 2019, but they were using it predominantly mobile first. Now, starting September 2020, it's going to be all websites going to be crawled using mobile first indexing. So any dealership that doesn't have a mobile first, it's going to start hurting their organic ranking. It's going to start hurting uh, their marketing ROI and everything else. And, you know, the new norm, and said not even related to COVID or anything, but the new norm is mobile usage. Everybody is on mobile devices. Like Facebook is a mobile first company. company. Instagram is a mobile first company. So, you know, you guys are doing social media and you guys know this. You've seen in Google Analytics, Instagram, 100% their audience is mobile. So imagine people are seeing dealership ads on Instagram who are on mobile. And it doesn't matter how great your targeting is. Like you might have created the best lookalike audience. You might have created the best, you know, uh, uh, in-market audiences, you might have the most beautiful, the most catchy, the most intriguing ads, but if people are clicking on those ads and landing on the website experience that's now mobile first, guess what happens? They bounce. And when they bounce, two things happen. Uh, Google and Facebook, they have this thing called relevance score or quality, uh, quality keyword ranking. And when your quality score is too low, and two things happen. One, you're paying more for cost per click. So anything on a Google, if your quality score is um, five or lower, then you're paying anywhere from 28% to 400% more on a cost per click. Not only that also, depending on the competition. So let's say, you know, Google is an auction model. So is Facebook. So let's say you're in an area that has maybe five other dealerships and they're all bidding in exact same keywords. Not only if your quality score is worse than your competitors, not only are you going to be paying more for cost per click, but also your ads might not even be seen, even if you are willing to pay more. Well, that's a good point. I mean, we're, we're being forced as an industry just to get better. You know, I mean, we're, we're being pushed by our customers, you know, to have better experience, um, both online and offline. Yeah. And, you know, we're being pushed by, you know, these big juggernauts, Google and Facebook, you know, to, to provide a better online experience. It's like it, everything's kind of been bottlenecking up to this point. And it's like, I think as an industry, we just don't have a choice. 
Exactly. We it's don't like have- adopt or die. kind of, And that's why I think we are. I mean, am I going too extreme with this? Or do, or, or do you guys can't no, agree really with me? Is. Like it is literally like 100%. hit the road. I mean, the COVID thing was almost like a, an earthquake, like an aftershock that happened. But this has been happening. It's just now it's more so drastic where, you know, dealership have to wake up. And actually, you know, some of the dealerships that I talk to who are using our platform, their lead volume actually hasn't slowed down. They're almost getting the exact same lead volume, but they're operating on a skeleton crew. They're still getting a lot of sales. I mean, their sales are slightly a little bit down because, you know, in some states you can't even sell a car unless it's a necessity or essential item. Uh, but what's interesting is I was talking to one of our dealerships and I'm like, do you guys even need salespeople anymore? You know, because everybody was able to do everything online. That is a, that is a true point because again, some of the dealers that have adopted that whole digital internet uh, sort of uh, sales experience, you're right. They're going to need less and less salespeople and the salespeople they're going to want to keep are the ones that, that they have sell. a lot of experience. Cool. Or that I got a huge customer base, or whatever the case is. But yeah, it is changing, and it's going to change fast. I agree. With you. Oh, you know, look, I was talking to a dealer the other day, and um, like, I know this sounds bad, but you know, it is what it is, right? He's like, Jason, this will be one of my most profitable months. I know that's exactly like I, what the other dealership said too. You know, he, he he's down he's down thirty per thirty percent in thirty thirty five percent in RO counts and sales efforts and stuff like that. But he's doing that revenue with a third or a quarter of the staff and overhead that he had before. So yeah. I mean, he he's like, I know this sounds bad, but I, I literally going to have to have this question and start thinking about it. Like, you know, I mean, think about on the sales side, right? Four people are required. So four people are required to do this, right? You have, you have this salesperson, a BC, maybe, maybe not, depending on your dealership, right? Then you have a sales manager and an F&I manager. Like there yeah. are four different people that have to get involved, you know, just for this transaction, the singular transaction to happen. Like, do I really need to employ that many people to do this? You know, I, I know it sounds crazy. I saw, I apologize. I didn't mean, mean to jump in there, but I'll let you continue, Lyman. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you really don't, especially like we talked about earlier, a lot of times people are not really selling. They're just taking orders. So maybe it's worth where dealerships spend more and invest more in their social media. Like Jason, we were talking about, you know, the salespeople versus, you know, the video editors or investing more in the content and things like that. And really thinking about, you know, who's building their websites and instead maybe then hire less qualified salespeople who are just trained in the best customer service, you know, and they just know the product so well where they could answer every question, but they're not necessarily there to sell. Like your marketing will do the selling, you know, build the credibility as a subject, you know, thought leader in the, you know, Ford cars or GM cars or you know, so where people come to you, not because you have the cheapest cars, but because you made it simple, because you're a true expert, you advise them. Like when I was building this company, I talked to several millennials and Gen Z's. I would like interview them and do market research. And one of the ladies, I asked her, I'm like, um, do you own a car? She says, no, I don't. But not because I don't want one. She's like, I actually walked into the dealership three times. And every single time I walked out because all the salesperson was asking me is what's my budget? You know, what could I afford? She's like, he wanted to spend no time trying to educate me about what are my trade-offs? What are my options? And the reality is that there's a lot of times salespeople at the dealership, they just care about hitting their quota. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, invest in your marketing and in your digital uh, experience to help educate the customers, let them do the homework, and then just hire great customer support people, you know. Well, I mean, that's Lyman, a good point. Lyman, George, I, like, I have to disagree with Lyman a little bit there. I got to step in on that one, Jason. Okay, that one's too hot for let's me. Let's do it. Not let's to do it, George. 
okay? Because I'll tell you right now, when you say salespeople, you're being very general. When guys like myself take, I'm up all hours of the night, days and night. I, I go to people's houses from 7 a.m. till midnight if I have to. So you got, you got to understand, you're being very broad and you're laying out a blanket. But no, I, I got my own brother. My brother's been in sales, uh, in, in Lexus sales as long as I have. He's the number one Lexus guy in the country. I video chat him today. He was getting a, a car flatbedded up to a customer in Barrie, which is about an hour north of Toronto, just to hand over a box of keys and wave that wave at them from a distance. You know, that's, so that's service yours. That's not like what you described as providing excellent customer service. That's well, I think what it is, and I, Lyman, I understand exactly what you're saying, right? That like customers don't want to be sold. All right. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, look, we, we've been, we, in fact, I mean, George, we've seen this a bunch of times in, in our industry, you know, that we've changed the name to product advisor, you know, yeah, or yeah. sales advisor, where we advise them on, you know, the best purchase, you know, for them, you know, but there are, look, George, we both know, man, there's a bunch of salespeople out there that are still just selling, you know, you know no, no hardcore, question. just selling no crap. Question. Yeah, that's what, no George, question. what, George, what you're describing is you and your brother are one of a kind. Like, I actually have identical twin sister, and she works for Hewlett Packard HMP. She's responsible for over $130 million of revenue quota. She's not an average salesperson, you know, like right, $130 right. million in revenue. That's like a CEO of a medium sized company, and she's just a, a you know, national salesperson. But, you know, when uh, Amazon contacts her saying, hey, we need X number, you know, or whatever they need, she doesn't just take an order. She's part of their strategic conversations about what it is they're building, yeah. what are the solutions they're trying to get. Like she's a consultant. That's one of a kind salespeople. There's very, very few salespeople like that. Majority salespeople are just order takers. They don't know the product well enough to be actual good salespeople. I can't tell you how many times I get my customers bringing my lunch and dinner at work. <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, that's a perfect segue, guys, into the next question, which I kind of set up for you, George. Is you know, I think as an industry, what's going to happen during this time frame? It's going to filter out a lot of the crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what, what's that old saying? You know, kind of cream rises to the top. I, I think I said that right. You know, and I think that what we're going to see right now, as far as salespeople go, you know, we're going to see professionals like real professionals like yourself, George, and you yeah. know, the 20 some that we both know, <laughs> right? Like that they're going to rise. And then a lot of the people that were just, let's call them bottom feeders because look, there is, we all know. I mean, yeah. I've been sold yeah. once before I got in the industry. It hurt. You know, I got taken pretty hard. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we all have friends and family that have been as well, you know, and I think they're going to kind of fall off. I mean, I think the people that are going to kind of stick around. They're the ones that are really going to be professionals because I think the new process is going to be way more customer centric than it has been in the past. And Absolutely. those bottom feeders are going to not want to be involved with that. They're not like your brother, your, brother George who's delivering a vehicle an hour and a half way or for yourself you know who really makes a connection with people so George I'm gonna set you up for this question all right how do you see the the new sales process going down well again it's gonna be time sensitive I think time sensitive is gonna be key um, I think with everybody spent so much time at home over the last you know month or two months uh, they really put the, the home front I think it's gonna increase as well as should be. So if it means going to people's homes, driving to their places of business, um, I, I've gone anywhere from uptown to downtown Toronto, north of Toronto. I've delivered, Jason, my all-time delivery, you already hear this? I drove a car myself all the way to Calgary. Of course you okay, did. I drove, 
Drove to Calgary. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. Amazing. I got to drive across Canada. No joke. And um, I've always been that way. I've always been, you know, customer first, making sure they feel special and giving them that, that full experience. But every, I'll tell you, every single sale I find is different in so many different ways. Um, I'm selling now third generation customers. I've, I've sold to the kids and now I'm selling the grandkids. And well, I think George, like you're like that as an individual. Okay. What, what I'm thinking right. is that when we come out of this, all right, you know, it's going to be hard for me to clone you, George. Uh, yeah. That text's not available yet, is it? Yeah. Can we, can we clone <laughs> you, George? Um, but I think what it is, we're going to have to process what you naturally do. Like, we're going to have to process the shit out of it, you know, right. because I don't think that is necessarily just our first gut reaction is to do what George does. Yeah, and you know, so, like, how do, how do we process you know, what George does. Lemon, do you have any thoughts? It all comes down to coaching, coaching. It's all coaching. Coaching is everything. I was watching that Michael Jordan episode there, The Last Dance. You know, I haven't caught it. Is it good? The coach. Look at Nick Nurse, our coach. Like coaching with athletes and coaching what happens at the dealer level, I think it's something that needs to happen on a daily basis. And the people who should be the coaches, some of them, some of even them don't even have the tools to coach properly. Right, and it totally comes down to coaching. Well, and you're gonna make mistakes. You're, you're gonna make mistakes. So be it. Just keep on going over. Go on to the you know the next learning, the next coaching session. You know, put your heads together, and it's gonna come down to a lot of. I, I feel coaching is huge. Yeah, but you know what's interesting, what George, what you said, and, and that's the key point is customer first. I don't hear that word in the automotive industry very often. But when I work at Microsoft- Like Lyman, you do a lot of marketing like I do. I mean, how many times have you been asked to create an ad or a campaign with, with that line in it? Yeah, <laughs> but just because you say it doesn't mean you actually do it. So as an example, I talk to a lot of dealerships about their car loan application. So at 321 Ignition, our car loan application has 55% completion rate, which is like unheard of. And it's because of the user experience we designed. However, we don't have a way to integrate with Route 1 because Route 1 is like ridiculous amount of money for you know, thousands of dollars just to do the API integration. And I'm like, I'm not going to spend that kind of money to do API integration. They should be wanting me to do API integration with them, which is the other crazy thing about automotive that pisses me off is like, you know, coming from you know, the background of IT outside of automotive, companies will give you free API because the more companies integrate with you, the stickier the product is. And automotive, they try to charge you for API, which is the most craziest thing you've ever seen in my life. Talk to dealerships and then walk them through our car loan application process and how easy it is for a customer to do it on a mobile device and how great, you know, high um, conversion rates we have. Like we generate more car loan application leads for dealerships than any other leads. Um, and if you think about it, those are the most qualified leads. Those are the lower funnel leads. Like that's the lead you should be like drooling over. Like, oh my God, you know, I got another car loan application <laughs> lead. But the crazy thing is, is that just because we don't have a way to automatically push it to Route 1, whatever, dealerships oftentimes, the first conversation I have with them is like, well, how about my salespeople? I don't want to allow them to, you know, I don't want to make them to reenter that information. And I'm like, listen, I'm like, I get it. Nobody likes entering the information, but would you rather have your people sitting there twinkling their thumbnails because they don't have any leads to follow up with? Or, and so great that everything is automated, but they have no sales to coming in. Or would you rather have a lot more car loan application leads, you know, people who actually wanted to buy a car, but yes, they might have to do copy and paste a couple of times, big web. I'm like, dealerships oftentimes, I mean, I convince them that like once they hear, they're like, yeah, you're right, Lyman, let's do it. But usually, you know, the conversation always starts off with, 
you know, their operations instead of a customer first experience. I'm like, forget about what's happening in operations. Like first customer first. A lot of times dealerships will create experiences that are great for their dealership, but not really great for customers. And that's like, George, what you were saying about, you know, selling it's customer first. That's the number one most important thing. Without customers, we have yeah. nothing. Here's a great yeah, but to, Jason, to Jason's point, you know, the, the better ones are going to they're gonna rise to the top. And you know what? The ones that uh, have that customer first approach from the moment the customer has any interaction with a dealer, whether it be on your website, whether it be in the store or whatever the case is. Yeah, you have to. Everybody's got to have that same mindset and the process all has to be coached daily. A well, and, and I think that's something that as an industry, we have to push for. I mean, look, I've had the opportunity to be in hundreds, if not thousands of dealerships and sit down and consult with them on their operations and their marketing efforts. And, you know, I would love to tell you that a good chunk of them um, have a well-defined written process. <laughs> But I'd be lying to you if more than half actually did, you know, like it, it's, it's unfair. Unfortunately, it's not a lot out there, but I think as an industry, we're, we're going to be forced. Like we're going to be forced. Yeah. Like we yeah. can't, we like, look, we just got off of one of the best seasons as an industry we've ever had. I mean, guys look for the last four or five years, we've pretty much been doing double digit gains as you know, quarter after quarter, after quarter, after quarter. This last year was the first year we started to see flat numbers, you know, now it's like, you know, but we got fat, <laughs> right? We, I call it full belly syndrome, right? We've gotten full, you know, and we've been able to, I think some, not all, I think some dealerships are doing phenomenal this and they're the ones that are prospering really well right now. But, you know, as, as an industry, I think, you know, we've, we, we've been able to kind of half-ass our way through this. You know, we've kind of been able to half-ass our way through a customer-centric sales process. We've been able to half-ass our way through a customer-centric digital dealership style solution, you know, and treating it like a digital. But all that's going to change. Yeah, what's interesting is before COVID, a lot of times when we had talked to dealerships, like, hey, I noticed your website is not mobile first. Here's all the issues that we're seeing. You know, it's not customer friendly, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times dealership would say, well, I'm doing really well as a dealership, so why change? You know, old Billy syndrome. Yes, exactly. There's totally super <laughs> belly syndrome. And so, you know, the great thing that happened out of COVID, not that COVID is great by any means, but the great thing that happened is actually let us rethink, you know, just because we're generating revenue is this the, actually the, the right way where is our operation still, you know, could it have been better when you're, when you're generating revenue and you're profitable, it's hard to actually think about the problems. You feel like nothing is broken. Why fix it? But, and you don't even realize your system is broken. You just don't realize that it's broken. Well, we've spent a lot of time as an industry and George, you know, this too, cause you've been in a bunch of these meetings where we talk about what we've done. Like we've been able to achieve this. Very seldomly do we talk about what we could have done. What could we have achieved if we had changed this or changed that? And, you know, but look, I think this time it's going to force us. I, I honestly, I think it's, it, there's a lot, of in, a lot of dealerships out there that are going to have to take this time and really think about how they're putting the customer first. And I think both of you guys are completely in line with that. Hey guys, I know it's getting towards the tail end of our time today. Uh, but before we go, I could ask my favorite question, which I think Lyman already started going into it. She got, she got a little heated there for a moment there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, those integration cost and companies. Oh my God. Them. Um, but no, guys, real quick. Uh, my favorite question of the day. Um, what is pissing you off? Uh, Lyman, I'm going to start with you. Uh, currently right now, what is pissing you off? Two things. When people use the buzzwords AI or digital retailing, 
really pisses me off, <laughs> uh, especially AI. I was talking to one uh, dealership who's like, oh, we figured out how to use AI to be able to test multiple variables at the same time. It's the newest technology. And I'm like, I've been doing marketing for 18 years. That's called multivariant testing. It's been around, you know, like, welcome. Good morning. For, for a little while it's been around, yep. <laughs> yep. It's been literally around, I think, when I was like 22 years old, 23 years old doing marketing. And that's how long it's been around. I'm not 20, I'm nowhere close to be 23 right now. The other thing that pisses me off is the API integration fees. Like I've never heard of anybody charging for API integration fees. Like software is only as good as the more people use it. If you think about Salesforce, Salesforce is one of the worst CRMs possible, but it's one of the most expensive CRMs because of the number of people integrate with them. So oh, the thousands, thousands of integrations. Huh? Thousands. Th there's thousands of integrations with yeah, them. They have an open API. I mean, that's how Amazon grew. That's how uh, Google grew. That's how Microsoft grew. Like all those companies have one thing in common. It's open API. And they actually then partner. Like, so I used to manage Office 365 team. And uh, before I left Microsoft, I was on the go-to-market strategy team. And I was in charge of their partner channel. And majority of their sales comes from partner channel. But why an automotive people don't get that is way beyond me. Like, that's the thing that pisses me off. It gets me so heated. Man, I love it. And you look heated right now. That's great. <laughs> I'm like, what? You look heated. You look like you're about ready to oh, uh, you know, roll yeah, up those yeah. sleeves and uh, get into it a little bit with uh, integration cost. We won't even talk the fact that they, they, they charge you initial integration cost, then they charge you monthly for even know. wanting to integrate with them. It's like, wow, man, really want to bend me over and stick it to me. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, the only people that suffer is dealerships. Literally, that's the only people. Like, that's why, yeah, that's you know what? True. As crazy as it sounds, I know it doesn't sound authentic when I say, but I truly mean it. I started this company because I wanted to be an advocate for dealerships. When I saw the technology dealers were getting, how screwed they were getting on the media services, how, you know, the lack of transparency and everything else, I was so heated and so pissed off. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, that is literally why I started this company. Well, I can't wait until, you know, we're able to pop our heads out and Lemon, we're able to sit down and share a beer over this because I think it'll be an entertaining uh, chat for the two of us to have. Hey, George, uh, I'm going to give you a shot now, man. Um, what is pissing George off right now? Oh, there's a lot of things pissing me off. Uh, I'll tell you something. <laughs> when I go to the grocery store, I don't understand people. You, 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 know, you know how you said you, you're, you're a lot smarter than I am. Okay, let's just say for the record, but. I go into the grocery store and you got to respect people's distance and you got to kind of look around you. There's people that are walking right, cutting you off. And I'm like, over your shoulder asking me. you to grab something. <laughs> yeah. Like, hold on a second. Like we got some rules here, you know, and, and part and parcel what's going to change in our business is the respect for people's space. Right. Person's a lot of that's going to change. Um, other things that are pissing me off. Uh, I haven't watched so many movies in my life. I am, I am going stir crazy. I am locked up inside. You keep a guy like me locked up inside. I'm like a popcorn kernel. I'm going to explode sooner or later. So I need to get out of this cage. Uh, and I'm pretty excited because I know it's coming. You know what, George, if you do pop, can you please shoot a video about that? It'll be, I guarantee you will go, we'll call it the George Pops video. That'll be incredibly entertaining. Um, but before we sign off today, guys, um, for everyone who's watching, listening right now and would love to connect with the two of you and kind of follow along with your journey and learn more about what you guys do, uh, what's the best way to do so? Lyman, I'll start with you. Yeah, the best way to connect with me is either find me on my LinkedIn profile, Lyman Savvy. 
or um, on 321ignition.com. Um, all of our contact information, everything is there. Awesome. Thank you. George, yourself, what's the best way to connect with brother? Uh, best way is, uh, yeah, you got uh, LinkedIn for sure is the best way. Uh, Instagram, I'm a Toyota George and on Facebook. So those are the three big guys. Awesome. And guys, and if you're watching, listening to this, I implore you, you need to go check out both of these, uh, both of these people. They are great. They just they have such great passion for the industry. Hey guys, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Jason. Hey, have yourself a good one. It's great seeing you and great meeting you, Jason. Thanks so much. Thanks, And I look forward to having a few beers with you in person. I guarantee you it's totally going to happen. Yeah, you guys right are going to be going to uh, um, NI NIADA coming up in September now. Like, we'd love to meet you guys there as well. That'd be definitely fun to do. Thanks again, yeah. guys. You have yourself a good one. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys.